Welcome to this episode of Shoulder to Shoulder, where we strive to grow in love of the Lord and each other. I'm Megan Silas. And I'm Pam Marvin. And we are continuing on a bit of a discussion we started last time as we talked a little bit about kind of what happened uh, at the time of the Protestant Reformation and, you know, some of the things that led to the separations that we have now uh, between Catholics and Protestants. And, you know, we're able to come to a, I think one of the big things that we came to an understanding of is even though we use this term Protestant as if it's some monolithic group, it really isn't. There's so much variety among different Protestant denominations about what they believe and how they came to the place that they're at. And there just continues to be a lot of development, shall we say, in in that area where I would say that in this day and age, um, what we traditionally thought of as defining particular denominations, certain core beliefs, aren't as much an issue. Uh, where a lot of um, the what used to be called mainline denominations, Protestant, uh, pre- uh, Presbyterians, Methodists, Baptists, uh, Episcopalians, you know, they, they used to be that they had very distinct doctrines that would vary between them. But what I have perceived is with the rise of um, evangelical Christianity as being such a large portion of the Christian landscape in America. Why don't you go ahead and kind of like define evangelical Christian? So okay. I think that's important. Yeah, it's it's a more of a kind of a catch-all, I would say, uh, where, you know, these mainline denominations that I mentioned before, you know, the Presbyterians and the Methodists. And, so non-denominational. Yeah, it, you know, evangelical, okay. non-denominational would be another kind of term for evangelical a lot of okay, times. Okay. The defining feature of evangelical Christians is generally, uh, I would say, two things. They tend to be very much... Um, the Bible is the inspired word of God and has everything necessary for salvation and that we are called to evangelize. So we are called as Christians to share this Christian faith, to spread the Christian faith and to bring people to conversion. Now, as a Catholic, if you hear that and you think that sounds other than our faith, you're wrong. We are called to be evangelical as Catholics, because if you look at Christ's ascension and he gives us what? The Holy Spirit, the paraclete. Well, he gave, well, before that though, before uh, when he ascends into heaven and he says, go forth and spread the gospel, baptizing everyone and, and bring them all to the full knowledge of truth. And so the church is founded on a concept that we're meant to spread the gospel or spread the good news to inform others about the good news that is Jesus Christ, Son of God, came, died, and rose again for our sins, that we can find eternal life through him. What we sometimes refer to when we're being fancy as the kerygma, the good news of Jesus Christ, that is essential to our faith, foundational to the church. And so this idea that somehow evangelicals have the corner on the market of evangelizing should sound crazy in the Catholic church. Unfortunately, in a lot of places it doesn't. And so what we really wanted to talk about in this episode, after having kind of gone over a little bit of 
you know, in a very superficial way, how the Reformation came about and how we got to being separated, brothers and sisters in Christ, how we can kind of reach across those division lines and and find some commonality and and foster a greater sense of unity among those who believe. Yeah, one of the questions I want to ask you that you often hear too, we alluded to it just a little bit in the last episode, is the idea that we are all Christians, but oftentimes some people don't see Catholics as Christians. Can you kind of like put us all back in that same basket again? Yeah, and I honestly, I think that that attitude used to be more prevalent in the past when, like, for example, the denominations were more defining themselves as Protestant, as anti-Catholic. And so there were a lot of misunderstandings about what Catholics believe that led people to think they were not Christians. But then also this idea of, can you really believe that Christ is present in the Eucharist and be open to adoration of the Eucharist and still be Christian if you're worshiping what some Protestants would consider just a piece of bread? Now, interestingly enough, there seems to be a movement within the evangelical world of acknowledging that Christ may truly be present in communion. In fact, there's a very well-known evangelical person, personality, Francis Chan, his Mm -hmm. name is, who came out with a video that said he believes that Christ is truly present in the Eucharist, that he doesn't use the term Eucharist. I think he said communion, but that he read, you know, as he started to, you know, really go deeper in prayer and read, you know, John chapter six and looking at Um, the traditional teachings from the early church, he's come to believe this truth. And then Stephanie Gretzinger, who is a very wonderful uh, praise and worship music singer, awesome singer, I love her. I saw a a talk that she gave where she even acknowledged, I know a lot of y'all are going to find this shocking or crazy, but I believe that Christ is truly present when we celebrate communion. So the interesting thing is, is that even though that community was historically, you know, back in like the 70s and 80s, really against that idea. uh, In fact, there was um, there used to be this guy called Jack Chick who wrote these um, little pamphlet things called Chick Tracks, which would basically attack the Catholic faith. And this is one of the big things that he attacked us on was this idea of the Eucharist, but then also um, Mary and, and those sort of things. So there seems to be this opening of the heart to these ideas that are very biblical. The whole Catholic faith is completely biblical, but the issue had became of interpretation so that a Protestant line went down different interpretations of some of these things. And now that there's this freedom of interpretation that's not even following traditional denominational lines, you're finding that truly faithful, Christ-loving people are starting to come to things of the Catholic faith. So praise be to God and the work of the Holy Spirit that brings his people together, right? And But what I really wanted to talk about is how, as Catholics, we could be part of that work in a way that's going to be fruitful. And I think it really happens through 
relationships, which is why it's so appropriate for us to talk about it on this show, because that's really what we are focused on, right? This idea of walking together in the Christian faith, growing to love, to know the Lord better through each other. And I have seen in, in my little over a decade now as a Catholic that there is a tendency to stay in our camps, to not try to engage others that aren't in the Catholic faith, to just be comfortable around people who believe the same thing we believe and not feel challenged by other beliefs. And so therefore we're not entering into relation, real relationship. Mm -hmm. Well, I can say like, um, just in the context of my work, there are, there's in particularly one person that is so on fire for Jesus and they are, I don't even know what denomination of Protest Protestantism he is, but I find we have way more in common than other people that are Catholic that. Don't, they just don't talk about Jesus the way right. he and I talk about mm -hmm. Jesus. And I find it wonderful because we can both talk about our differences. And usually we always have a really cool conversation at Lent. I don't think we've had, we had one at the beginning at Lent this, this year because he's, I'm actually doing something for Lent this year, you know? So I like those conversations, mm -hmm. but I find myself really holding back um, in fear for, and this goes back to kind of my own personal woundedness is I don't want to make them uncomfortable. Right. I don't want to shame them for their faith. Mm -hmm. I don't want them to feel bad about their love of God because it's not the right way, you know? So I, I don't know how to navigate all this. I th think that to assume that someone is going to feel all those negative things, if you simply ask, can you explain to me why you believe this or why you don't believe that, or how did you come to that? I, I think of Solomon in a way where, you know, the Lord asks him, what do you, you know, what do you want? And he's like, can I have a heart of understanding? And if we were to approach it more that way, not with an agenda of, I want to convince somebody that they're wrong or I want to, you know, assert my point of view, but really try to understand the heart of another and say, it is abundantly clear to me that you love the Lord. To start there with that, that acknowledgement that you recognize that their faith is real and that it is, there's beauty in it. But then to say, and yet I know we have differences. There are places between us that are so resonant and so on the same page. And, and yet there are still these places that we don't agree. And can you help me understand your perspective? To come at it from that point of view, whereas you're not telling them, you're asking them to tell you. And then hopefully in the telling there'll also be an openness to receive your thoughts on what they've told you. Can you give me an example? Yeah. So for example, if uh, somebody, you know, the topic of the Eucharist comes up, because it's a huge one. This is a huge difference between a lot of Catholic 
well, every it should be every Catholic, but unfortunately, apparently, it's not every Catholic that truly believes that Christ is present in the Eucharist. So there we have an issue there within our own church. But say you're a, a Catholic who truly believes that Christ is present in the Eucharist, and you're having a conversation with a Protestant who does not believe that, and you were to say something like, you know, it is so abundantly clear to me that you are passionately in love with Jesus Christ, and I love that about you. I wonder, when you read what it says in John chapter 6, where Christ says, if you do not eat my flesh or drink my blood, you have no life within you. What does that mean to you? Like, how do you read that? And how do you interpret that as part of your faith? Well, can I answer that question? Because we've had this conversation. I've actually had that conversation Okay, so before. what did you hear? Um, it was figurative because literal would be cannibalism. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then the question is, well, what if it were true? What if it wasn't literal? Because the reality is in the in the earliest times of the church, they took it to be literal. It's there's clear writings that that talk about you you know he's truly present and and even Paul himself says if you do not discern the body and blood and yet you receive you heap condemnation on yourself. So the very scripture speaks to this as being a, a serious thing. So, but take for a moment to just imagine, what if it were true? What if he truly wants to unite himself to you in your body, in addition to spiritually? Would that be something you would desire? Good point. You know, because the reality is, is that can the Lord do anything he wants? Yes. Could he make the reception of his body and blood not cannibalism? Yes. Yes, he could. So then the question is, why would he want to? Because I will be with you till the end of time. Right. End of the age. And Yeah. And that idea of that he so much wants to be present to us spiritually and physically that he makes a way. To unite us to him and to each other. Because in him, our unity becomes much more profound when it's spirit and body, just as a human being is. Because we're not just spirit. We're spirit and body. And he unites us in both for the unity that he desires, right? Like we read at the end of the last episode, we read from John chapter 17, where he talks about all those who come to believe in him through the apostles, that they might be one. And this idea of unity, the desire for oneness, that's a place I think that so much of the conversation can revolve around when it relates to not simply the Eucharist, but a lot of the other aspects of the things that divide us. Because the sad reality is, is that, and I certainly wouldn't ask it in this way to someone who is Protestant, how's that unity thing going for you? 
are the fruits of unity being lived out in the doctrines that have been put forward by the Protestant reformers and their children? And clearly it has not. And so how do we respond to that reality of you'll know them by their fruit? But if we come at it again with this place of, please help me understand how you see this. And then once you receive what they have to say and acknowledge the good that's in those things, right? Because there's going to be things as they explain their understanding that will be good and will be true. So before ever, you know, saying anything contrary, I think we affirm we affirm the goodness and the truth that they are holding and then ask, would you be willing to hear how I see it a little differently? Mm. Like, don't just enforce it, like mm -hmm. ask. And most people, if you approach it with that level of respect and humility and truly present it as a desire of mutual knowing will be able to receive what you have to say and come at it with the idea of my job is not to convert them. That is the job of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My job is simply to share the good news as I have come to understand it. And as I have come to experience it. So that's another point that I would speak to. I, you know, I love a good hardcore apologetic session just as much as the next, you know, brainiac. But the reality is, is that when we get into theological and philosophical arguments that are very separated from our own personal experience of those things, they often can become an exercise that's academic and easy to set aside if you don't convince but the reality is I don't need to convince anybody of the truth of my experience of the beauty of confession, the intimacy of the Eucharist. Like you can't dispute that because right. it is right. Right. right? Mm -hmm. And so to come at that with a sense of all I know is this is what I've experienced. And it's been such a deep joy to me, so profoundly important to the how I experience the Lord. How could I love you and not want it for you too? And so thus I share it. Right. One of the things I've typically thought um, and shared just with like my family members that are Catholic, that I always say, wow, they, they are so holy without all the sacraments. I can't imagine what they'd be like with all the sacraments because personally I need all the sacraments to drag me along to, mm -hmm. to be able to be a better human being. And so I'm so impressed how far and above and how in love they are with Christ without the sacraments. And I just, it hurts me for them. But at the same time, I'm like, how do you do that? Because mm -hmm. I couldn't do it. Now I think that's an interesting point that you make that it hurts you because when we experience that separation, 
among people who we really care about and want to have deeper levels of intimacy, it's right that it should hurt, mm. you know? And I'm pretty much 100% sure that it hurts the heart of the Lord too, that we aren't more united, considering he prayed for it. And, you know, he also told us in scripture, like he talks about in Mark chapter 9, He's, you know, somebody's coming to him. John, in fact, the disciple he loved, said, Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he does not follow us. Jesus replied, Do not prevent him. There is no one who performs a mighty deed in my name who can at the same time speak ill of me, for whoever is not against us is for us. Anyone who gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ, amen, I say to you, will surely not lose his reward. Mm. So the reality is, is that while we would desire the most amount of unity that we possibly can have, let's not lose the unity that we do have and start casting, you know, you know, all kinds of condemnations on other people. The Lord says, if he receives you as a Christian, he's claiming me, he's not going to lose his reward. So even though our desire could be for greater unity and for them to experience a more fullness of who, how they can experience Christ in the sacraments, let's not forget that the Lord himself has said he's, he's taking care of those people. He's understanding where their heart is at. Well, I, I, for one, am very grateful for uh, my evangelical family members and friends who are on fire. It's so good to see that. And, and you know, I have that heart of one to wish, like, how, how do we inspire that within our Catholic friends as well, which is a whole nother, another topic because yeah. they truly just um, have a deep, sincere love of God. And it's beautiful and inspiring. And I wonder, you know, when I think about why we can be reticent to talk about these things with other people outside of the Catholic faith, with other, with Protestants, other Christians. I do think that a lot of Catholics feel like they have to have all the answers. Like they have to know the ins and outs of the Catholic faith so minutely, like basically have had to have memorized the catechism and be able to, you know, not only quote everything that's in there, but also be able to quote scripture, chapter and verse, but otherwise the Protestant's going to think that they don't read scripture because they can't quote chapter and verse. So they, you get all this stuff built up in your head that I'm not going to be able to like really articulate my faith and I'm going to just screw it all up. And so what's the point? Well, that's putting a burden on yourself that's too heavy to bear. I mean, not all of us are Scott Hahn, right? We don't, <laughs> not all of us can, you know, go into all this covenantal theology and know the Bible back and forth. But I don't really think that's what the Lord's asking of us. He's asking us to love each other enough to care to know each other, mm-hmm. you know? And it's just sometimes I think so easy to just stay with the people that believe the same things I believe that aren't going to challenge me, that aren't going to make me feel uncomfortable, that aren't going to maybe even qu- make me question my own beliefs because I don't know it well enough to, in order to like really feel secure that I can 
stand in their their disagreement and not be swayed. Well, I, I pray that someone will open that door and come to try and, you know, transform me or something. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like to to tell me more about their faith and want me to bring into their faith. I I would welcome that. You know, I love that opportunity to talk about Jesus in the context of how I know him through my mm-hmm. Catholic faith. I would welcome that. Well, you do, but a lot of people don't. And so well, I'll pray for that next time around people that I know that are beautiful evangelicals um, that, that that maybe they will open the door and try and walk through it with me. OK, well, why are you relying on them to open the door? Because one time I heard on the apologetics that that's how you do it. You wait for them to ask questions. Otherwise, they're not ready to hear it and they're not open to it. OK, that might have to do with them, you know, you articulating the Catholic faith, but could you not open the door to the discussion by you questioning about what they believe? You see what I mean? Yeah, I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't even know what to ask. So there's just two things. There's praise and worship and Sunday in the Bible. Mm, not even Sundays, just praise and worship in the Bible. So why do you believe in souls? You know, t- tell me about Sola Supria. You know, it's not really even biblical. That's, <laughs> I mean, so th- that's so theological, though. How about this? I've noticed that you seem to really love the Lord. Can you tell me a little bit about how you experience your prayer life? How do you grow closer to the Lord? Mm-hmm. Like, and honestly, they may tell you something that's actually going to really bless your prayer yeah, life. maybe because. So. These theological differences don't necessarily mean that there aren't things that they've experienced through the grace of the Holy Spirit, through the power of their baptism, that you haven't experienced. So to come to that idea that maybe you are entering the conversation, not simply to articulate your own beliefs, but you could learn something, right, from the other. Um, And just... It's healthy also to be challenged in our assumptions. You know, we might be assuming things about them that aren't true. Just like they assume things about us that aren't true. Like a lot of Protestants assume that Catholics don't read the Bible. Well, a lot of Catholics don't believe read the Bible. So that's a reality. But there are a lot who do and who go very deep in their Mm -hmm. reading of the Bible. Like Mm -hmm. I had a beautiful experience of explaining to a Protestant friend um, the process of Lexio Divina. Mm -hmm. And it was beautiful for her to hear that she hadn't heard about that method of praying with scripture. There is nothing contrary to her beliefs that would prevent her from entering into that. And so that's a beautiful point of sharing that doesn't have to be contentious. And there's things that they can offer to us, I'm sure, that would be like, wow, that is a beautiful way of, you know, experiencing God that I hadn't really thought of. And it has, there's nothing in my faith that would prevent that. You know what I mean? That's a very good point. But I think if we can start approaching each other as individuals and not so much as categories— it would be really helpful to opening up the dialogue. Yeah, I still find myself going, yeah, especially like someone who is not Catholic, not really practicing a faith, believes in God. There's a lot of people that they believe in God, 
They believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but yet they don't go to church and they don't do any type of worship. But they're good people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I, I I guess you could say, well, why don't you go to church? Well, it's just not our. I mean, I have it all personal relationship, and I don't know. I have a lot of people in my life like that that mm-hmm. are just like me and Jesus. We're good. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to read the Bible. We're Jesus and I are good. Mm-hmm. I get that a couple of times from friends and family. Yeah, and you know, I think that is. Well, a tell common... me about that. How are you so good? Because I'm really still working on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that may be a jumping off point. It'd be like, explain to me what you mean by that. When you say Jesus and I are good, how are you experiencing Him in your life daily? Mm-hmm. You know, how is how is your faith in Him impacting the way you? function in the world it's just you know it's again so often i think we don't ask enough questions right Megan. one of the things i'm really hearing here that i'm going to pick up on and try and take with me more is that kind of evangelical courage i mean it takes that kind of courage to invite people in and have these kind of discussions um, because of love of god and love Mm. of the person so kind of a holy courage. I'm going to be praying for that. Yeah, I think uh, that's something that is worthy of praying for. And, you know, we talk about sins of omission in the Catholic faith, right? And I wonder, you know, when each one of us comes before the Lord and he says, I placed you in my church. I placed you in a place with the fullness of truth with the grace of the sacraments. And I commanded you to go and spread the gospel. Why didn't you? What prevented you from loving my children enough to share with me, with them, my desire for them? Like, that's pretty convicting, right? Mm -hmm. I don't want... I don't want to go before the Lord and have a videotape played before me of every person I had the opportunity to love with the gospel that I said no and see what happened. Like the seed that I could have planted that did, that was not even left on the the path was never even spread because of why fear Mm -hmm. discomfort, you know, that doesn't mean that every conversation that we have (laughs) has to always lead with, you know, tell me about your faith life. Right. But when you see the openings, when you feel that little in your heart, that like even that little nervous thrill is like, Ooh, I I could say something or speak into this right now. And then you say, no, you know what? I don't. I don't think I want to do that. I think I want. Mm-hmm. That seems a little uncomfortable, or whatever. Why? Mm. Well, and you know, I've had some experiences of sharing my beliefs about some hard things directly to people. Like, you know, I have a cousin who's homosexual, and you know, one time I had an opportunity to share 
why I believe what I believe about human sexuality. And it was amazing how well he received it when I simply explained my understanding of what God desired for human sexuality and also admitted that in our fallenness, we who are not same-sex attracted often fall so short of living the truth that he has revealed to us in scripture and in our bodies. True. And it's, I think that, the humility that says, I fail. I fall short of the glory of God, you know, and I'm not putting any burden on anyone that I don't know full well that I need to live up to myself. But I also understand that the times that I do, the times that I'm able to live in the truth and live in his will have been the most beautiful times of my life, the most fulfilling times of my life, the most peaceful times of my life. And how could I love you and not want that Mm -hmm. for you too? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, when Christ says, love others as you would have them love you. Well, you know, I remember when I converted to the Catholic faith and I recognized I had been surrounded by Catholics for a good portion of my life and no one had ever mentioned the Eucharist to me up until, you know, very close to the time that I converted. And I felt betrayed, actually. I felt like I had not been loved well Hmm. by those people because if that's true, why wouldn't you want that for me? You know, and so that's the question I think we should ask ourselves. Do we really believe it's true? And if so, doesn't loving command that we want to share it? Yeah, absolutely. Good point. But you're never going to have these conversations if you don't put yourself in situations where you're actually going to be able to have conversations. And so, you know, sometimes these places are hard to come by, you know, if we're only ever in our own little, you know, isolated island. (laughs) But, uh, you know, and sometimes work is not the place to do it. Um, But I would say that, you know, being willing to make invitations to people that you resonate with. We've often talked about that, you know, when we talked about forming spiritual friendships and when you meet people who you just resonate with and, you know, a lot of times that resonance comes from a mutual love of the Lord Mm -hmm. and you find that they're Protestant and then don't be afraid to invite them to coffee and, you know, or have lunch and get to know each other. And, and then I think things will develop as God wills, but I think he really will honor that desire to reach out and try to bring greater sense of unity within the body of Christ. Because, you know, as he said in John chapter 17 about praying that people would be, that we would be one, he said, so that the world will know that you sent me speaking to the father. And 
our witness as Christians to the world that doesn't believe in Christ is hampered by our disunity. Mm-hmm. And so this, this act, even within just one other person or two other people in our lives, if it helps increase the unity among the body of believers, if others can see that and say, wow, he's Catholic and she's Protestant, yet they're like really good friends and they, they both love really well. Maybe there's something to this Christ thing. And that's the first step, right, to anything, to understand that maybe there's something to this Christ thing. Amen to that. So thankful. Well, anything else you want to add to that topic? No, I'm just thinking about holy courage and what that's going to take and, you know, anticipate situations. If you're going to be with a loved one or a friend that's Protestant or evangelical or nothing in general, just to have pray to God for the inspirations of the Holy Spirit and for holy courage. Amen. And next time uh, we're going to talk about unity again, and this time is that will be about trying to foster greater unity within the Catholic Church, which we are struggling with too. Absolutely. So, so we hope that you've uh, enjoyed this conversation. And if if the Lord puts somebody on your mind while we are having this conversation, maybe somebody that you know that's a Protestant, or if you're a Protestant, a Catholic, then you, this idea came that maybe maybe that person I could talk about. I just encourage you, don't ignore that. Take that as a little nudge mm-hmm. from the Holy Spirit and consider that invitation uh, to coffee or lunch and just get to know the person a little better and, and try to understand uh, how they approach their love for the Lord. And you might find that you'll learn more than you expect. All right, well, until next time, I hope you will remain united with us in prayer. God bless. God bless.